Well, are you excited about the Word of God this morning? Let me tell you, I believe that God is drawn to expectation. Oftentimes in church life, you know, it's been said that familiarity can breed contempt. Let's not actually be too familiar with something that is actually very, very significant and that's the Word of God. Let's not just approach it because, you know, that's what we do every Sunday or that's what we do during the week. We've got open access to the Word of God. But this is a new day. Bible says, this is the day that God has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And are there any rejoices here this morning? That's good. I want us to uh, actually read the Word of God together this morning. I've got a word that I feel like God has spoken to my heart. That is the word in season for this congregation. And um, I remember being raised as a Catholic. And one of the things that whenever the Word of God was read in the Catholic Church, everyone stood just simply as a sign of respect for the reading of the Word. So this morning, we're going to stand for the reading of the Word of God. Is that okay? Do you do that here? Okay, we can do that. Why don't we all stand to our feet? I know this will be new for some of you, but just, hey, go along with the flow. It'll be okay. Awesome, let's read. We're reading this morning from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 to 39. I'll read from my notes here, and it's the same as if you could read uh, from the screen up there. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Father God, I pray this morning that as I preach and as I share what you have placed on my heart for this congregation this morning, I pray that people would hear what they need to hear. I pray that they would receive what you need them to receive. Lord, I pray that your word this morning wouldn't return to you void, but God, that it would accomplish the harvest, that it would accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it in the first place. I pray for your anointing. I pray for your grace to be upon everything that we share this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. You can take your seats this morning. So the title of this morning's message is this. Do not let the devil steal your confidence. Don't let the devil steal your confidence. Confidence is a good thing. To be confident is an admirable quality. It is actually a quality that the Bible encourages. Many Christians shy away from giving the appearance of being confident just in case someone misinterprets that confidence as being pride. But here the writer of Hebrews suggests that the person who 
shies away from being confident is like the one who shrinks back and retreats. But we are not of those who shrink back and retreat, the Bible says. Some translations say, but we are not of those who draw back. You see, the implication of the original Greek language in this particular passage of Scripture is that he who shrinks back or retreats or draws back due to a lack of confidence is like the one who goes back to a way of thinking before they were saved. That's the implication of the original Greek language. So do not throw away your confidence, for it will be richly rewarded. In the Amplified Bible, it says it this way, your confidence has a glorious and great reward. The Greek word used here for confidence is the word parousia. It literally refers to a freedom of speech or the right to say all. With parousia or with confidence, according to the Greek context of the word, also comes great boldness. But you've got to understand that the word parousia, it wasn't a religious term of the day. In actual fact, it was a political term of the day. The Greeks used the word parousia to describe someone who had the right and the boldness, <coughs> pardon me, to address the assembly. In the Bible, the word parousia is also translated into these words, openly, freely, and with boldness. My point is this, with confidence comes a freedom. With confidence comes an openness. With confidence comes a boldness. In actual fact, in the word confidence, there is no hint of shyness or timidity. When our confidence is in God, when our confidence is on what God has placed in us and on us, the challenge for us is then to move forward, move ahead in that confidence. In the sense of confidence, there's a calling to advance, to move forward. You know something? I think too many Christians spend their lives defending the kingdom of God. <coughs> Our calling is not to defend the kingdom of God, to live in this position of continual retreat and kind of barely hanging on to and protecting what God has given us. No, the calling of every single Christian believer is not to defend the kingdom of God, but to advance the kingdom of God. Because you see, when we advance, we take ground. When we advance, we move forward. When we advance, we're taking ground that once belonged to someone else. And let me tell you, for the kingdom of God to move forward, for the kingdom of God to advance, it takes people of confidence to go there. Confidence is a good thing. People who know who they are, people who know what they can do and what they are good at. They have their assurance in God. People who are secure and not insecure. People who are bold and not easily intimidated. It's any wonder that the Bible says, so do not throw away your confidence, for it 
will be richly rewarded. Confidence is a good thing. I want to share with you a couple of stories this morning. One of them took place before moving back to New Zealand uh, 11 or so years ago. Uh, for a period of seven years, I was the worship pastor at one of Australia's leading churches, Paradise Community Church in Adelaide, what is now Influences Church. And I can remember one of our night meetings very, very clearly. And Pastor Ashley, the senior pastor of the church, was preaching a message actually not dissimilar to this one. He was preaching a message on confidence. And as was our custom at the end of his message, he gave people the opportunity to respond on the altar call. This is a church of five, six, seven thousand people. And so there were hundreds of people, probably a couple of thousand people in actual fact at this particular night meeting. And as Pastor Ashley closed, the, uh, closed his message and then offered people the opportunity to respond to the altar call, two things struck me, made a lasting impression about that particular altar call. Now, I've been in ministry, I've been a Christian for 33 years, been in ministry for 25 years. I've been around the traps, I've seen a lot of altar calls. But when he preached on confidence and asked people to respond, if you need prayer, church, because you feel you need a breakthrough in the area of confidence, why don't you come forward? This was one of those altar calls where I can guarantee more people responded to the altar call than actually were left in their seats. So the first thing that struck me about this particular altar call was this. The sheer volume of people who responded. Not only was the altar call area out the front, and the altar call area in that church was probably about four or five times the size of this altar call area here, but there were people down the aisles, then all of, going right to the back of the church. The volume of people who needed a breakthrough in the area of confidence was just phenomenal. That was the first thing that I remember about that altar call. The second thing that I remember about the altar call was this, the type of people who responded. It wasn't necessarily the people that you would expect to respond. I was the worship pastor and even a lot of the people in my worship team responded. The work, some of the singers and musicians that would have been in my production and worship team and when I was over there pastoring in paradise would have been between 350 and 400 people. And some of them were just the most phenomenally gifted people I'd ever had the opportunity to work with. Some of those people were on the old school. I think I'm playing the piano on this one. And I'm looking down at the type of people who are responding. And I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, if I only had half their talent, I would be the most confident person on the planet. But what the heck? Why are they on the old? What's that person doing on the old school? I just couldn't believe not only the number of people, but the type of people that responded. <clears throat> then I want to tell you another story. Again, while I was, many, some of you may or may not be aware, while I was pastoring in Adelaide, one of the people that were on, was on my worship team was Guy Sebastian, the winner of the very first Australian Idol competition. And I helped mentor Guy through his process of, um, of winning Australian Idol. And probably within a month or so of Guy winning um, and being crowned Australian Idol, he just went from this 
Neville Nobody, that nobody knew to just this household name right across Australia. And about a month after he won the Australian Idol competition, World Vision uh, bought out um, CC Winans to do a tour of Australia and New Zealand. I'm not sure if you've ever know, even know who CC Winans is. She is or was, you know, back probably about 10 or so years ago, one of the up and coming, very, very famous African-American gospel artists that was really having a significant impact with their music right around the world. I've been a fan of CeCe Winans and the Winans music for years and years and years. You know, right now, you see a very, very white person. But let me tell you, inside, I am black. Okay? Or at least there's a black man that's just trying to get out. And so I thought, oh, I'd love to go, I'd love to, go to that CeCe con concert because she's just amazing. Anyway... As it turns out, Guy was invited to be the support act for the Melbourne show. So Guy got me complimentary tickets to the CC Winans concert. Not only that, Guy got me backstage passes to the CC. Unfortunately, um, CC was and her team were in a kind of separate part of the dressing room. But I did sneak past her dressing room and noticed that there was a half-drunk bottle of Fanta, which I went, this is, sounds really, this sounds really creepy, like I was stalking her, and I probably, probably partly was, but hey, you only live once. And um, so I, I thought, maybe if I, I wonder if that was the bottle of Fanta that Cece was using before she sang. So I, I went in and took this half bottle of Fanta and just drank it and kind of licked the bottle just in case her voice rubbed off on me. And I, I told you, it, I told you it was creepy, but hey, you're not allowed, to, you're not allowed to judge me. I'm a man. I'm a man. And, um, but anyway, so this show, Guy opened the show, he opened me the show with, a, with probably a 20 or 30 minute set, and he just did a fantastic job, he sang a lot of the songs that made him famous, the songs that were on his record, that he was producing some of his gospel songs, just did an absolutely brilliant job, then there was an intermission, and then Cece and her band came out, oh my goodness, they were like amazing, all of them were African-American musicians, singers, like her backing vocals, two girls and a guy, like there was three of them, but it sounded like there were 33 of them. They were just, I just closed my eyes and I thought, God, you can take me home now. I've seen everything that I need to see. My work on earth is done, you know. It was like just incredible. The music, the quality of the sound. And Guy Sebastian was sitting on my right. I don't think you'd mind me sharing this with you this morning. But he was on my right, and as Cece and her band started doing their thing, he just sh shrunk down in his chair next to me and says, Ugh, I never want to sing again. One of the most talented, amazing, superbly, supremely gifted people I've ever had the opportunity to work with had that opportunity when exposed to someone of such remarkable talent. Why do I tell these couple of stories? Well, first of all, when it comes to confidence this morning, I want to break some myths. You ever seen that show Mythbusters? That show whereby different well-known, well-accepted myths or urban legends are taken and they are tested, and the role of the Mythbusters is to find out which of those myths is true and which is not. 
Well, this morning, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we are going to break some myths when it comes to confidence. Is that okay? Myth number one is this. Most people are more confident than what I am. Uh, wrong. Not true. As demonstrated by the altar call I just shared about earlier, my experience, having been in ministry, having been helping people, having been pastoring people, my experience is this, the vast majority of the world's population, or certainly the people that I come in contact with, and there's been thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of over the years, most people struggle in the area of confidence. Newsflash people, confidence or to lack confidence is not a condition that is unique to you. Most people at some stage in their life struggle from a lack of confidence. So the good news is that if you are a person here this morning who struggles in the area of confidence, guess what? You are in good company. Myth number two is this. This is a good one. If I have more talent, I will be more confident. Uh. Wrong. Not true. Over the past 20 years, it has been my privilege to pastor and work with people that I would describe as incredibly, superbly gifted people. <coughs> Point taken. Some people, of course some people, have a very natural sense of self-confidence. But again, from my experience, especially with working with people in the arts, that is by far the exception than the rule. And actually what I've found out is that some people can project confidence very, very well. But if you actually dig just slightly below the surface, you'll find that there's a whole realm a whole zone of incredible insecurity and of incredible self-doubt. I can remember at Bible College, Brian Houston told us that um, he goes, every minister at some point in their life needs to deal with insecurity. I mean, I was a Bible College student at the time, so I knew everything. And I, um, I can remember thinking to myself, oh, gee, Brian, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if, I didn't, if I agree with that, you know. And um, I didn't articulate that because this was Brian Houston. If I had have articulated, I probably would have woken up with my armpits infested with fleas the next morning or, or something like that. However, however, life experience has taught me that most people need to overcome insecurity. And at the root of insecurity, oftentimes, is a lacking of confidence. Talent or gifting unfortunately does not make us immune from lacking in confidence. We often want the gift. We often want the talent so that I can be more confident. But this is the reality. Having a greater level of gifting, having a greater level of talent, guess what, does not mean that you are going to suddenly end up with a greater degree or greater level of confidence. Talent and confidence are related, but talent does not mean that you are supernaturally going to somehow now become a more confident person. Third and final myth is this. 
There's nothing I can do about my lack of confidence. It's just who I am. There's nothing I can do about my lack of confidence. It's just who I am. Ah! Wrong. Let me say this. This will stretch some people. Confidence is a state of mind. There are some things that we have no control over with. There are some things in life which we do have control over. And I am absolutely convinced that when it comes to the area, to the issue of confidence, that the power is in your hands to do something about it. It's a state of mind. Who knows what the Bible says, Romans 12 too. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And sometimes when you or I are in a situation where we lack confidence, guess what? We need to step out and we need to activate the Word of God that says, therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, there is something you can do. Best-selling author Robert J. Ringer says this, if you are prepared, if you are prepared, then you are able to feel confident. This is the point. Sometimes going into a situation with even a greater degree of confidence can be based on something as simple as putting a higher degree of preparation in what you're about to do. See, there's things that you can do. You don't have to accept as being a person who has no confidence, you don't have to accept that as being your lot in life. You don't have to live your life and set up camp in a place called self-doubt. If you are a person who struggles with confidence, there are things you can actually do to help. I want to tell you another story this morning. At the age of 14, I learned a very powerful lesson. Actually, it's a lesson, life lesson, when it comes to confidence that I still put into practice today. I'm a musician and most of my musical education was as a classical pianist. I used to do exams, used to do a Stedfords, all sorts of things. Many, many times, once or twice a year, I was called upon to perform in front of, you know, at school assemblies or in front or at school concerts or stuff like that. I went to an all-boys Catholic school, all right? So being a classical pianist wasn't exactly the coolest thing on the planet, you know? Being on the first 15, that was cool. But being a classical pianist wasn't exactly the coolest thing on the planet and invariably my music teacher expected me and asked me to perform at, at school concerts or assemblies and things like that. And I used to just get terribly nervous. In actual fact, there were many times where I'd be waiting to be called on the stage to perform and I'll listen, no exaggeration, I would literally be watching my fingertips seeing droplets of perspiration form on my fingertips, just being so nervous. It's not great when you're a piano player especially if you're playing something D-flat, which is kind of all the black notes. Um, that was a gag for all the musicians out there. Um, so thanks for laughing. And, uh, but I used to get terribly nervous. And I can remember I was performing at a big show I'm in front of my whole school when I was about 14 years of age. I can remember waiting in the wings of a, this concert hall, wherever I was performing, the grand piano was on the other side, and I was just waiting for my name to be called out as the next performer. And as a 14-year-old, <coughs> 14 pardon me, 
I can remember this, this so clearly. I made a decision right there as a 14-year-old. I thought to myself, I wonder what would happen if I gave the appearance of confidence even though I'm not confident. And so I thought, what have I got to lose? I'm, I'm just going to do it. So, because you know how when you're, conf- when you're really nervous, your heart beats really fast, and so you tend to do things really quickly. Like, if I'm nervous and I'm playing, I play really, really fast. No, no good putting me on click, you know, because I just race ahead of it. And um, so on this particular occasion, I purposely walked over to the stage, and I purposely intentionally walked slower, okay? Because when I'm nervous, I always walk fast. And then I looked out at the audience and I smiled at them. In my brain, I'm thinking, you idiot. (laughs) You absolute twit, you know. But I just wanted to give the appearance of confidence. When I actually sat down at the grand piano, I sat down. Usually I'd fumble and the music would fall and pick it up, you know. But I just took my time and I put my music up there and I just gave a little smile, you know, the Colgate ring of confidence. And, um, and I started playing. And, but let me tell you, that performance, up until that point in my life, that performance was by far the most superior performance I had ever given on that occasion. And I believe that there's a great principle in God here. You know, you've all heard the adage, you know, fake it till you make it. And to a certain degree, I was faking it until I made it. But this is my point. Rather than call it fake it till you make it, now as a Christian, I've learned the power of faithing it until you make it. Because guess what? A life of faith sometimes demands a posture from you before your heart or before your emotions or before your intellectual function has actually caught up. Some people will say, oh, but Paul, isn't that, it's not being very transparent. It's not being very, you've got to let us see how you're really feeling on the inside. Oh, fill me to all that baloney. There is a place in God where sometimes I need to act in a way that I am believing for, even though I haven't necessarily caught up to that place yet. Hebrews 11.1, 1, the great definition of faith is this. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And if you're certain of what you don't see, and if you are sure of what you hope for, then that demands from you sometimes for you to carry yourself in a way before what you are hoping for and your certainty of what you are seeing has actually materialized. You see, friend, that is faith right there. And sometimes when it comes to confidence. We need to carry ourselves in a way before what we are believing for and what we are hoping for has actually materialized because we should be believing for a confident response because it's confident people who advance. It's confident people who move the kingdom on. It's confident people who take ground both at a personal level and at a kingdom level. I can remember teaching this principle, listen to me, I can remember teaching this principle to one of our interns a couple of years ago, Haley, a very, very lovely kid, but one of the shyest, most timid people I have ever met, comes from an absolutely horrific background, she was 
serving for a couple of years in our internship program at Harborside. And I have never met anyone, I don't think ever, who I would describe as being a person who suffers most incredibly from a lack of self-confidence. And I was teaching Haley this principle. Haley, sometimes you need to carry yourself in a way, even though you feel shy, even though you feel intimidated, sometimes you need to carry yourself in a way because oftentimes we let our emotions and we let our fear determine who we act, but who knows, we should be letting our revelation of God and what His plan for our life determine our actions. And I was teaching her this principle and I said, Haley, I've got some homework for you. The next time you're in a situation where you feel intimidated and you feel absolutely obsessed with your own self-doubt and lacking of confidence, do this for me. Respond with the opposite spirit. Act in a way that you are a confident, outgoing. Go, go, complete, go completely opposite. And probably about two weeks after that conversation I had with Haley, she came up to me. Her face was absolutely glowing. She says, Paul, you'll never believe what happened. I, she's part of our children's team. She goes, I had to host um, a lunch with children's pastors from all over the North Shore, some of the larger churches on the North Shore, Life City Impact. And she says, I did normally, she said, that type of environment. I don't know these people. It was unfamiliar to me. Normally, that type of environment would totally cause me to retreat, to shrink back within myself. She goes, Paul, I did what you said. I went out there. I projected myself. I endeavored to make myself look and feel confident. And she goes, Paul, it worked. Paul, it worked. It's a victory. It's a victory. I've just had a victory. Paul, it works. And that girl is a, literally a different person from that day on. You see, there's a part of faith that demands you to carry a posture before you've even caught up in your mind, in your soul, man, in your intellect. You see, through Christ, the ability to move from the land of self-doubt into a place of confidence is in your hand. Like we said before, God doesn't call us to transform anything, let alone our mind, without first of all giving us the tools of transformation. So what's the answer? You know, this isn't this morning a five or four point sermon. I want to make this sermon this morning a one point sermon, a simple sermon. So what's the answer? If you are a person who at times or who at right now struggles in the area of self-confidence, struggles in the area of self-doubt, what's the answer for you? If you forget everything else that I've talked about, that I've shared this morning, if you have forgotten everything, I would ask you to remember this one simple point. If you want to become a person of greater confidence, this is my point. Change your focus. Change your focus. By that I mean change your focus from what you don't have to what you do have. 
In other words, don't focus on what you haven't got. Focus on what you have got. Don't focus on what you haven't got in your hand. Focus on what you have got in your hand. In Matthew chapter 14, we read of the feeding of the 5,000. Many of us know the scripture. Jesus was given by a small boy, the gospel say, five loaves of bread, two fish. There was something like 5,000 men that had to be fed. It's interesting that as we read through the, uh, read through the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the gospel writers make a point, make a strong point to communicate the sheer vastness of the inadequacy of the resource. 5,000 men had to be fed. They make a point of saying 5,000 men, not including women and children. Most Bible commentators would agree with the fact that there was probably upwards of 20,000 people that had to be fed that day. Not only that, they, gospel writers make a point of showing how little food there was. Five loaves of bread and two fish. In actual fact, in the Gospel of John, he makes a further point. He, he says that the bread was actually barley loaves. Now you've got to understand, in the Eastern uh, times of Jesus, barley was a food that many would, uh, was a food that many would consider was only fit for poor people. In actual, some first century um, writers described barley as being food that was only fit for animals. And so not only do you have such a vast need, but you also have such absolutely, not only insignificant resource, but actually inferior resource at the same time. Yet as Jesus called for that resource to be brought forward, this is my point. At no time in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 men, at no time did Jesus give any consideration whatsoever to what he didn't have. The case for inadequacy is well established. At no time did Jesus give any consideration whatsoever for what he didn't have. He only gave consideration, even though it was pathetic, even though it was insignificant, even though it was insufficient, he only gave consideration for what he did have, for what was brought to him. So often, insecurity would cause us to compare ourselves with others. And at the very heart of comparison is the need to focus not on what we do have, but on what we don't have. Not on what we, nor not what's on in our hands, but what's in someone else's hands. And at no point did Jesus show any consideration for what he didn't have. He just take, said, taking the loaves and the fish, he looked up to heaven and gave thanks. That was it. Simple. Taking the loaves and the fish, looked up to heaven and gave thanks. When it comes to the gifts, to the talents, to the abilities, to the passions, to the desires that are represented in this room this morning, of which there are many. 
Maybe the secret is this. Don't worry about what God has given someone else. Take what God has given to you. Look up to heaven and give thanks. Because that's when the miracle took place. One of the greatest miracles recorded in the New Testament scriptures. I wonder how many people here this morning have ever felt completely adequate. You feel that what's in your hand is completely inadequate for the task at hand. Your personal resource just seems so insufficient. Maybe for that dream that's stirring in your heart. Maybe for that kingdom assignment you believe God's calling you to do. Perhaps the task that God has entrusted you with. Maybe the next time when you are confronted with emotions of lacking of confidence or of self-doubt or insecurity. Maybe when your boss asks you to do something that you feel totally and utterly ill-prepared for. Maybe your response needs to be, take what's in your hand, look up to heaven and give thanks. Where we take a note out of Jesus' book. The miracle happened as Jesus took that which he had been given and gave thanks, despite its perceived inadequacy. Maybe the miracle of confidence will happen for you when you take that which you have been given, despite the immensity of its inadequacy or perceived inadequacy, look up to heaven and give thanks. I'll close with this final thought. If the devil wants to attack you in any way, he will attack you in the area of confidence. Because like what we said at the beginning, it's your confidence that causes you to take ground. It's your confidence that causes you to advance. The devil, on the other hand, will love nothing more than us to pull back, for us to draw back, for us to retreat, for us to live in a posture of defense. But like we said, if we're going to take new ground, if we're going to advance the kingdom of God, if we're going to advance our own metron or our own areas of influence for God, then it's required to be men and women of confidence to be able to do that. So friend, don't let the devil, don't let the devil steal your confidence because it carries a great and glorious compensation of reward. Let's pray this morning. Father, right now I thank you, give you praise, give you honour for all the gifts, for the talents, for the families, for the hearts, for the passions, for the desires that are represented in this place this morning. Father God, I pray for an anointing right now. I just pray that even as people would leave church this morning, that there would be a sense of fruition that would come upon the message that's been received this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Just before I hand over to Craig, just as every, um, we just maintain this attitude of prayer. I want to offer 
here this morning the opportunity for anyone who wants to get their lives right with God. I know you do this here every Sunday. We do it in our church every Sunday, just giving people the opportunity to come into that place of personal relationship with God. Maybe you're or been invited here by a friend this morning. Maybe you've just come in. Maybe you've been here for a, a little while. And for you, you're exploring what it actually means to be a Christian, or you're exploring the possibility of faith and what that looks like for you. You know, for me personally, I've never, ever, not once, not once in my life, ever doubted the existence of God. I've always believed in God. I've always known about God, but this is the catch, friend. I haven't always known Him. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, Christ, that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. And just before we go this morning, I just want to, in a moment, I'm just going to ask people to lift your hands. If that's you, you want to come to that place of surrendering your life to Christ giving your life to Jesus, coming into that place of personal relationship with Him. In a moment, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand. I'll simply acknowledge your hand. You can put it down again. just helps me know who I'm praying for, and I'd love the opportunity to lead you in a prayer this morning. Maybe there's people that, for whatever reason, have once knew God, or for whatever reason, feel as though you feel as though you've fallen out of relationship with God. Well, I want to include you in this prayer this morning as well. You know, I love the scripture that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will dine with him and he with me. And the thing I love about Jesus is this, he won't impose himself on anyone, but he does wait for us to open the door. And his invitation is there waiting for you this morning, friend, a personal relationship. So just as everyone closes their eyes and bows their heads in a word of prayer this morning, just to offer people privacy here. I'm just wondering if there's anybody like that here this morning. It would be such a privilege for me to lead you in a prayer, coming into relationship with Jesus because he loves your friend. He knows you by name. The Bible says that there's such great rejoicing in heaven at just the repentance of one sinner. So right now, just as I look across this auditorium, if you just give me a wave, if that's you, you want to get your life right with God, God bless you, I see that hand, you can put it down again. Is there anybody else here this morning? Who would? God bless you, God bless you, I see that hand. Is there anybody else here this morning? God bless you, I see that hand. Anyone else here this morning? Four or five people have responded. God bless you, thank you so much. Anybody else here this morning? We're just going to pray together. Anybody else? Just don't want to rush this. That's fantastic. We've had five or six people respond to this morning. This is what I want us to do now. We're just going to pray this prayer, and I want the whole church to pray with me, just to support those who lifted your hand. But if you did lift your hand this morning, I want you to mean this. You're not praying to me. You're not praying to the person next to you, but you're praying to God who hears our prayer. So mean this genuinely and sincerely from your heart. So let's pray. So I'd ask everyone to repeat after me. Father in heaven, I come to you right now and I invite you into my life. I believe that Jesus is Lord. 
I believe that you raised him from the dead. I accept your love. I accept the forgiveness of my sins. And I believe that with your help, I can live my life for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, right now I pray for every single person that lifted their hand. Father, I just pray that the reality of relationship would just be so strong for them right now. Lord, I pray for your grace. I pray for your peace. I pray for the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be upon each, upon each and every single one of those lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Craig.